And welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. Hope all of you are doing well. One of the things is, is we've talked and talked and talked and, you know, we've been doing the, the little series on health and stuff like that. And, you know, we decided to change it up. And one of the reasons is, is we were back in uh, Alabama where your mom is from. Yes. Went down there, did like little mini work vacation uh, kind of thing. So that was good. But unfortunately, while we were there, uh, my aunt passed away. And so we thought this might be a good time to, you know, do some work on death and dying and, you know, that whole process, because it is such a process, but it's it, it's such a different process for everybody. And, and, you know, finding, you know, where you fit in those processes, where your beliefs are and all of the different stuff that comes with that, because it's... Uh, you know, it's not always a cookie cutter fit for everybody, you know, because of religious backgrounds, beliefs, culture, you know, and the list goes on and on and, and people's concept of death and what happens. Uh, some people think nothing happens. You're just dead. You're dead. <laughs> you know, some people think you uh, are reincarnated. Some people think you ascend to heaven and some people think you get stuck in purgatory for a little bit of time, you know, or some people think that you transcend all of this and become part of everything else. So there's so much around this whole process of, of death. And so we thought we would talk about that. And we thought our first episode would be talking about what that experience has been like for us on a personal level. Right. If you're fortunate to not have those significant people die, then great. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, yeah, I think we'd be hard-pressed today to have that. But, you know, it does happen. There are some people I work with, and they'll say, this is the first significant death that that's, I've had. And, you know, they might be in their 40s or their 50s, you know. So it does happen. But let's start with you because, you know, your significant death for you. I mean, you. I know your grandparents had passed away and stuff like that. And, and I was really close to my great-grandmother. And so I would say that that was the first experience that I would say had was very impactful. And um, how old were you? I was 18 when she passed away and it was difficult for me. I was young and I don't feel like that I handled it, you know, with much ease or grace. I feel like that I beat myself up a lot because I didn't go back and see her as she was getting ready to pass. My family made a trip back. She was back east and my family made a trip back to see her but I didn't go and a lot of times I I kicked myself over that and I think that we have a tendency to do that but the next significant loss I experienced was my dad who passed away in 2007 and that was extremely difficult for me I felt like my world fell apart so and just not even because I didn't understand how that would impact me. I had no idea and was totally unprepared for all the emotion and anger that I would experience with that. So it was a really difficult time and it lasted a really long time. And I mean, even now it's, you know, what, that's 15 years later. It is true that time can help but you always miss that person. And we talk about that. We talk about we miss the vessel. We miss the, because you miss being able to sit next to them, uh, see them, all of those kind of things. And and I think 
and particularly I think for you is because I don't think sometimes we know that those people are so significant in our lives, but you don't know how significant they are with even within that family structure. Right. You might have a perception of that person. And then, you know, when they pass, it's like, holy cow, sometimes they're the glue that holds the system together. And you don't realize they're the glue because maybe because your dad was kind of quiet in some ways. And he he was very quiet. And so I always saw my mom as, you know, really strong and more, she was more vocal and things like that. And so through that process too, like you say, you sometimes you don't understand what place that person holds in the family structure like that. And I realized that my mom, she made a lot of decisions with him, him being the voice of reason a lot of the time. And so when he passed, I realized that I had a skewed idea, really, of what the structure was. I thought, you know, like I said, that my mom being was more strong and, and the vocal one. So I didn't realize what kind of stabilizing factor my dad was for her. And she, it felt like it became chronic indecision and things like that after that for my mom. And I think that's what it is too, is, you know, you talked about that. It was a long process. So it was, it was kind of a difficult time in, for you and in, in our relationship. And I think what compounded it more was the timing of things. That's when I also got meningitis. And part of it was, as we were going back and forth to Alabama to see your dad during this time, I was still working. And so I was kind of burning the candle at both ends and my body finally said, okay, enough. Definitely. And it was a stressful time for both of us. And you were you were supporting me and I appreciated that, but you having to take the family medical leave to be able to be there with me and all of that. And you're right. I think the stress of it all just caught up with you. And I think you probably could have handled it differently because I've told her this, you know, because I got the meningitis, it really messes with your ability to think and to do the things. So I couldn't be there for you. And then you had to shift gears and not even be able to process your grief and loss because you went right into really helping me and really at one point feeling like you were going to lose me as well. Yeah, helping you through that time because my dad passed in March and you were sick at the end of April and they couldn't determine whether this meningitis was bacterial or, or viral. And that was really important to know because they didn't, you know, about how to treat and just how, how desperate the situation was. But you had some times where that we weren't for sure. So it was really hard going through that, just dealing with that loss and then not knowing what was going to happen in your situation. And then of course, seven days in the dark because I couldn't have light on and you stayed with me in the hospital the whole entire time. And I'm, and, and you know, just that feeling once again of, being at a loss and alone and stuff. So there's so many things that can compound. And, you know, oftentimes we'll think, well, it's just the death. But, you know, there's so much more that is happening because life is still happening even when that death is has occurred. And that was one of the things that I struggled with big time because somebody that was so important to me was no longer there. And I could not understand, you know, you're sitting there and you're talking with somebody and then all of a sudden they're gone and I couldn't understand how life could just continue on as if this person was never there or something and I don't know 
where that thought comes from because obviously I had my dad in my life up to the age of 30. So I was blessed in that way. I know a lot of people don't don't have that experience. But it still, it seems so strange to have such an important person in your life gone and how everything else is supposed to just stay normal. It's funny because I remember talking to my sister, Alice, and we were having a conversation and I can't remember who had passed away. It was, I don't know if it was a grandparent or whatever. And I remember she said that she was at the hospital and they had just passed in that. And she said, she looks out the window and something similar to that. There's this man who passes by in a blue, in a, I think in a pickup, maybe blue pickup, whatever. And uh, she said, it's like that guy, nothing impacted him. The world, like life was still going on around us, even though this was happening to us, it wasn't happening everywhere kind of thing. And I think that's a really relevant thing too, is to that realization that that loss is so personal in a way because it's not impacting everybody. Yeah, and it seems so tremendous to you. It's just so impactful. And for everything else to just go on is just inconceivable. It's amazing to, you know, when you think back on this and, you know, I'm really fortunate that, you know, you, you didn't have a whole lot of grief and loss in your life. I I lost uh, all of my, uh, my grandparents. I knew all uh, my four grandparents and lost them. And so that was significant. But my first significant family loss was my brother, my oldest brother, when he passed away. I was at my parents' house. Uh, my niece called, wanted to talk to grandma. I said, okay. I didn't know, and I will forever have the sound of my mom, the wail that came out of her. And I was I was there like, oh, my God, what is wrong? And then I took the phone from her, and my niece told me and that. And so to hear that when a parent loses their child. Because our perception is that parents always pass before their children, which I think is interesting because death happens at any time, at any moment, to anybody. But we want to believe that, that belief system that children should grow up, live their life. My brother was, he was older, so it wasn't, he had a family of his own. So that was so significant. And my family, how we dealt with it and, and all of that. And you know, one of the things I always tell, even when I do uh, grief and loss work, is to never let somebody die twice. And what I mean by that is my family, my brother still lives. Christy knows a lot about my brother. <laughs> she never met him, but she knows a lot about him. Our, the nieces and nephews that never met him still know stuff about him. We keep him alive. We don't want somebody to totally disappear. They truly die and cease to exist when we don't remember them. And I think about that, like when, you know, if you ever watch the movie Coco, Dia de los Muertos is the day that they remember. So, and it is that thing of, that's why he doesn't, he doesn't want the picture to be gone. Because if it's gone, then he's gone. And they're gone forever. And I tell people, and it, when I'm dealing with grief and loss with clients, I'll say, tell me, I want to know this person. Because it's important to keep them alive, not just in our head and in our heart, but out there so other people can see and experience these people. That is how we keep them from dying twice. You know, and so that's such an important thing. And we talk about your dad. We'll, we'll do different stuff and we'll talk about memories and things like that, which is kind of really cool. And then in 10th of 2014, I lost my dad. It was really difficult because he had broke his hip. 
and he was a, in, it was, I was actually in session, and one of the, the people in session was a doctor. And I always tell my clients, you know, if it has to do with my family, I will always take that call because my family is very important. The phone rang. It was my sister. She says, hey, dad broke his hip, and they're going to take him to the hospital. He's going to go to the hospital and that. They're going to, and I said, oh, okay. I says, where's he going to be at and all that. So he was in a hospital that was only about 30 minutes away from me. And, well, the, the, they can hear me talking. And so the doctor, of course, says, well, what happened? I says, and he goes, how old is he? And he goes, I told him, he goes, oh, he's going to die. And it never registered. I'm just thinking, well, that's really an odd thing to say. And I'm thinking, my other thought was, is, is that your bedside manner? <laughs> you know, because I just don't think that. Anyway, we went some, we did all this and that. And the morning that he'd had the hip surgery and that, and, you know, his had started rehab and things like that. And the morning I was driving over to see him, he had passed. And so they kept him there for me because uh, I knew I was on my way. And that was such a significant death for me as well because I was used to talking to my parents every day. When I lived by them, I'd go have coffee with them every morning on my way to work. And so very, very significant. And then a little over a year, on September 18th of 2015, I lost my mom. She actually went into hospice. My mom had breast cancer and then... Uh, it eventually metastasized, you know, several years later into lung cancer. And that was another extremely significant time in my life. But I think that in doing grief and loss work, and I remember when my dad passed away, I took the week off and then I went back to work. And I remember being in a meeting and I'm in this meeting and I will always be so grateful to this other clinician who reached out to me. I really didn't know her very well, Patty. She says, let's take a walk. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't want to take a walk. She goes, no, we need to take a walk. And as we're walking, she goes, you're not doing okay. And I'm thinking, well, I'm doing fine. She goes, no, you have the deer in the headlight. Look, you're not doing okay. And so it was one of those things I had to go, oh, wait, where? And really think about that. And so work was always a thing that I could go back to. And I think maybe, you know, sometimes that house of the process, sometimes it could slow down a process. I don't know. I think it's just individualized. But I then I think to myself, is this like a cosmic joke? Because after my dad died, the clients I got, guess what? Dealing with death and dying out there. Like, is this some cosmic joke? You know, you got to be kidding me. And I don't know. I think sometimes the universe puts things in our path that we need. So I really started on a path of really looking at death and dying and, and the impact of that on people. And so when my mom passed away, same thing happened. I got a few more that were dealing with death and dying, and I've had that, you know, since then. And particularly with, uh, you know, and then you, we get into the last two years and had a lot of that dealing with clients and the lot, their losses and things like that. And, but I think for each individual, there's, we have similarities, but we have differences. And if it's okay with you, if we share the, the last time with the last part of your dad, because that ties into the rest of how our kind of how we believe in and what's what the process was all about. Yeah, I feel like that the experience I had my dad so he passed at like the early hours of the morning. We had just gotten there. We had driven from Colorado to Alabama to get there and it was late when we got there and I got to spend just a little bit of time talking with him. He wasn't able to respond. He did acknowledge me, 
just by like flinching his eyes when I talked to him. I only got to spend a little bit of time with them then and uh, went to lay down to get some rest and it was not long after that he, he passed. And I came downstairs immediately. It was me and you and several others in the room and we were all standing around and all of a sudden it I I have to say it was a very strange experience but I started seeing what looked like sort of a gold golden light and so I'm going to let her compose so I'm going to tell you what my experience was going in you know when I go in there's that part of that I think that therapist piece of me or the nurturing piece of me is I'm thinking I get in there and I'm thinking okay I'm going to survey the room who will I go to let me see what's happening because you know her brother her younger brother too was there and so really working on assessing that piece of it for me so her and I are standing kind of right at the entrance as we walk in and so we can see him and my brother like she said he was younger he was only 10 years old I think my older brother was there too in the room and I don't think anyone else experienced this but I started to see this it was like a golden light and it was like it was emanating from his body I saw it rise up to the top of the room and spread out and it was it looked like it had sparks of light it was like energy within it just just filled the room and it started to go everywhere and I was literally seeing this and uh, I was overwhelmed but also with a sense of peace and I think the thing that was really bizarre is I got to experience this as well and I looked over at Christy and I could tell she was seeing it too because she had her eyes were as big as mine and that it was and it was so interesting because as as the last bit came out of him and it came out of like his his chest area is what it looked like to me but it just it was so much it just floated up up, and it was and it did it just like filled the room and it was just like there was motion to it it was like it was the most amazing experience I cannot I'm so grateful so grateful that I got to share in that experience with you and that we both saw and I'm in my head thinking why isn't anybody else like with their eyes in awe and wonder at what is going on here but nobody ever talked about it so I think it was something we experienced why we did I don't know but as I was watching it's so weird because I almost seen his body just concave just a little bit as the last bit came out it was so amazing it went up to the ceiling and started to dissipate as it spread out was like I was seeing those brights of light just twinkle as they as they went out and it was just like I said it was an amazing experience and in some way like I said peaceful and I am so grateful that I that I got to see that and it really helped me to think about how it is when we pass and what what that is and what that seeing that energy i felt like it was his energy and it was it was going out and just becoming a part of what i would say is all yes and i think that is the thing and i think that really impacted so much and we have countless conversations about 
death, dying, you know, energy and that. And we talk about that. And, you know, I always think to myself, you know, you know, when we talk about what has no beginning and no ending, what can be neither created nor destroyed, but can only be transformed. You know, people will say God, but on earth, the only thing that has that is energy. Yeah, we ended up watching a documentary. I believe it was on uh, Amazon Prime. Maybe. I think it was called Heal. And I remember there was a couple on there that went to this group because they were struggling with the loss of a child. And I remember they were scientists. And they had a hard time. They struggled a lot with a belief system, you know, knowing what had happened with this child after their passing. And they said, they talked about that with the energy. And that made sense to them when they put it in that context to say, you know, energy is and always was and always will be. That helped them to understand about their child and that that energy still exists. And I think that's what it is. You know, when we talk and we look at, you know, when your heart stops, what do they do? They send electrical current. Our heart is electricity, energy. Our brain, the neurotransmitters, electricity. And so I always wonder, and I always tell Christy this, you know, when we talk about, you know, that man was created in the image of God, and I think people think image as in the vessel. And I always think to myself, what is the, what if the image is the energy? What if we're that piece of that greater energy? And that is the image in which we are created. I don't know, but I find that after seeing, having that experience with your dad, it kind of shifted my thinking about what is this whole thing. And, but I also do, you know, I also understand that the brain is electrical impulses. People are not dead until the brain has its last electrical impulse, basically. That's energy. Energy needs a vessel. Energy needs something. And, you know, is it that when we pass, you know, and that's, we have this conversation often, you know, when we pass, is that, so is that why people, there are people who believe in reincarnation? Does the energy go into somebody who, a child being born? I don't know. I think these are questions that so many people don't have the answers to. And maybe we're not supposed to have the answers to. Maybe we're just supposed to have the wonderment. Maybe we're supposed to be having the conversations. Maybe that's what it is. It's opening up a dialogue. It's expanding our mind to see that there are many options and there are many beliefs and many ways to get to all. And I think that's what it is. We, we, it's an exploration. And oftentimes when I'm doing work with grief and loss, I'll tell people, what is your belief system? And sometimes they'll say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have one. Well, then that's where we need to start because you get lost because you don't know. I don't think any, anybody can profess to have the answers. It's that unknown. And it's the unknown that sometimes scares us, whether it's thinking of our own mortality or that loss of somebody else. But I do know that it's lonely sometimes without that person. There's an emptiness. But, you know, I always tell, and I told Christy, I said, you know, I, at one time I felt like I was just such a horrible daughter. And the reason why is when my parents died, it was devastating to me because I missed the vessel. I did. But it was hard because the essence of who they were, that energy I always felt. I always feel. So it's like the vessel's gone, but they're not. 
And so it, so for me, my grief and loss was always for the vessel. It's missing listening to my mom whistle, doing gardening with her, my dad, knowing he was up to something no good because the twinkle in his eye. You always knew it. <laughs> True. There are so many things, but I have the memory of those things, and I'm grateful to the memory and to be able to pull that up. And you can pull that person right back up into that existence in that moment from that past. But we can't go visit them in person. And that's what we miss. We miss that piece of it. But I found that I didn't have, when I would talk with my clients about grief and loss or my friends and family and just different people, my heart was heavy. And this is a piece. My heart was heavy. I was devastated. Once again, because of the missing of that vessel, the missing of that person, the tangible person. But in my mind, because I believe their energy goes and stays, it's everywhere. It's big that I would feel, I feel my parents. I feel that energy. So I felt like I was supposed to be more sad. I was supposed to be mad, sad longer. I was supposed to do all these things. I was supposed to do all this. And I wasn't, in some ways, I wasn't, I was, because I was feeling them. They were gone, but not gone. You still feel their energy, and that was a saving grace for you. I understand that you beat yourself up at times because of the way other people experience grief and loss. Maybe you thought you weren't doing it right, and you didn't want to dishonor their, them, because you hold such importance with them, you know, that that's, that you don't want to lose that. And just because you don't experience grief and loss the way that other people do, it's really a blessing because you can still feel their energy with you. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite Disney movies, Moana, and that relationship that she has with the grandma in that. And I love that She always gets emotional at this point. I'm going to tell you right (laughs) now, I don't care how many times we watch this movie... And I understand why, because it's an emotion. It's it's a very significant emotion. That energy is always there with her. The grandmother talks to her and she tells her, there's nowhere you can go that I won't be with you. That's what it is, is that energy of that person that they can, if you can feel them, it's comforting. And I think that the thing is, is I think that sometimes we were in Rojoyarta, and this woman's talking with this, and she'll just tell me stuff anyway. Anyway, she had lost her husband, and she wanted so bad to feel him, so bad to know of his presence. I said, okay. And as she's talking to me, and she's telling me these things, and one of the things that stuck out in my head is they had a favorite song. It was, I, I just lost the name of it. But anyway, there was this this kind of celebration. She didn't want to go, and they finally convinced her to go. The fans said, just come. It was after her husband. So she goes, and they have a mariachi band. As she's leaving, the mariachi band's coming in, and they're playing that song, that song that was their song. She walks out. And I remember looking at her, and I go, well, that's a really odd song for them to play at a celebration. And because the type of song it was, it, it wasn't, one that she that it was it didn't fit with and I said the problem is is sometimes those messages those people are there with this and sometimes it's in a song that's out of place 
because it's significant to you. Sometimes I feel like those energies are there, but we're so stuck in our grief or we're we're so busy looking everywhere else, we're not experiencing what is there. Sometimes we can become so fixated on the loss that we can't see or experience some of those things, I think. What after my mom passed away, I was having such a hard morning and I was getting ready for work and I was just really missing her. And in my head, I'm having a conversation with her just so you know, I'm just like, you know, mom, I just miss you. And I'm having such a hard day. And I said, I just like, I, I miss feeling you. And we had those lights over. Over the vanity, there was a, a row of lights over the mirror. And all of a sudden, those lights started doing this weird pattern. Like the, 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 the first light would go one, two. Then it would skip the next one, go one, two, three. Then it skipped the next one, do another one. Then it come back. And it did this really weird pattern. And at that moment, I felt my mom. And it was like, I've got you, baby. It's okay. I'm here. And I remember having that feeling. And I was there like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I went to work feeling much more complete. And fast forward, I'm in my office. My So the chair I sit in faces my couch and my love seat where my clients sit. And then behind me is my desk. And on my desk, I have two lamps. I have lamps on. I don't put my overhead lights on. And I'm sitting there. And I look at my client. And she's kind of looking behind me. And I was there. I was just very odd. And she goes, Sharon, what energy is in the room with us? Who is that? And I says, well, what do you see? And she goes, the lights. And I go, oh, it's my mom. <laughs> I, and, it, and I turn around. It was that same pattern that these my two lamps were doing. And my client goes, oh, yeah, I feel that. And we went on with our conversation. <laughs> it was the oddest thing. <laughs> but she, she goes, Sharon, I experienced that. She said, it's very strange. And I said, and part of it was she was she was very open. She was very her 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 grief and loss process with her family system, and particularly her grandmothers, who were very very relevant in her life. You know, she really had the belief system that their energy often came to her at the time that she needed them. You know, and I think that's what it is. It's what your belief system is, and not everybody's is going to be the same. We're sharing our experience. It's not to minimize anybody else's or to maximize ours. Every single human being has their own experience with grief and loss. Everybody. But I think the thing is, is it's what do we, how do we learn about what it is for us, even on an individual level? And then from that individual level, share that with somebody else. How do we do that? Help others. You know, we're going to talk more in another episode about, you know, what do we do for other people? How do we help through grief and loss and stuff like that? For us, you know, and I'm very grateful because you've been such a strong support system for me. You know, I wish I I, I I was better support system after I got over the meningitis, but that took me so long. And I think that that is, you know, for you, that really is what kind of springboarded you into from grief and loss. And this is important if you do not deal with grief and loss, grief and loss will morph into things like depression. And then it's a different process to get you out of a depressive state than it is to get you out of grief and loss. There are two different ways because something almost gets more solidified. And so for you, 
you didn't really have that support. Yeah, I felt really alone at that time, and it was such a struggle that, yeah, I did fall into that depression, and it was really difficult to get out of. And it was difficult for me to identify it as depression. It took me about six months to really recover from the meningitis because it, it really affected uh, it affected my memory a little bit uh, at that time. So it was very difficult. I didn't have energy. I didn't have stamina. I didn't have. I couldn't have those really um, clear cut thinking. <laughs> it was all kind of a fog. And so for you, I know that was really difficult because you you did feel very alone. And so it wasn't until about six months out. And by then, a lot of that had already, you know, started to more morph into that. And part of it was because not having that support to deal with that grief and loss process. Because I know you didn't do it with your mom because you knew she was going through grief and loss and you would kind of put yours on the back burner. Mm-hmm. You know, to help you through that time. And, but also yeah. through your to help your mom and... Yeah, because my mom came to stay with us after that for a little while, too. You know, her going through that process as well. And I think that's what's hard, too, is, you know, in grief and loss. And, and you know, once again, and I, and I tell people, don't make major decisions while you're in grief and loss. You know, don't make any major decision for about, a, you know, almost a year after that loss so that you can think more clearly because so much of the time it is emotion that drives those decisions. And then, you know, after you're, you know, when you're thinking more clearly, they're like, holy crap, why did I do that? Yeah, you can make some huge decisions and then find yourself thinking, I, you know, maybe shouldn't have done that or that maybe not wasn't the right decision to make. And it's because you're just sitting in such a heightened emotional thing that you're not thinking clearly. Yeah, and that's why I tell people, you know, take time. Give yourself time. Give yourself all the time you need to heal. To heal, but not to stay stuck. The healing process is once again communicating, addressing those feelings, all of those things that are important. And once again, we're going to talk more about that. But that, I think, is something that we've really learned to do a little bit better. Once again, I do much better at this when I'm not dealing with something that's messing with my brain. Because it was only after that that we could actually start really to work through this. But it took a while because of the depressive piece with you. But identifying that, and then you also identifying that, yeah, this feels different. This doesn't feel like just the sadness anymore. And that anger over, you know, feeling like somebody was taken from me or whatever, I don't know. And I just think that understanding that in those grief and loss processes, there's so much emotion, so much emotion. And sometimes it's hard to be respectful in those moments. You know what I mean? And... Not only that, but it's in that moment where you realize that those significant deaths shift the system. And then where do you fall in that system? Because you can lose the system too. You can lose yourself in that. And that's why it's really important not to make big decisions for sure. And also respecting and understanding that sometimes when people say and do things in grief and loss, it is through grief and loss, it is an emotion that is speaking. It's coming from a place of hurt. A deep hurt, a hurt that transcends a lot of other hurts that you'll ever feel. And like everybody in in systems, there's going to be hurtful things. And I hear that often. People say, well, they're they're being so mean, they're doing this, some of the stuff they're saying doesn't even make sense, blah, blah, blah. 
remembering that it comes from a place of hurt and of trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. Yeah. Making sense, as you said, how does the world go on when something so significant just happened? How do they expect you to? And, you know, one of the things, as I watched my parents go, you know, when they had their grief and loss of the loss of their parents, the loss of their son, realizing that life goes on. Life is for the living. And I never understood that. I would hear that when I was young, you know, life is for the living. You know, and I, and I get it now. And it's hard because it's, it's that thing of how do I go on living when something so significant has happened? And it's that journey you each individual has to be on. And once again, there's no right or wrong in that aspect. People will navigate it the way they do. And there's no hurry up and get over it process. For every single human being, it is their process. And I think it's the responsibility of all of us to be respectful of it. Right. And have compassion and realize that you, you have to hold space for people when they're going through something like that. And just having the gratitude for the people who are there for you, were there for you, and knowing that you can turn to them and doing that, taking that time to, to reach out to those people when you need it. Understanding, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing is I knew I could go talk to you at any time about that, about what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And even when I wasn't talking or you weren't talking, we were in tune enough to know that maybe we needed a nudge to talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they are difficult times. And I wish that there were easy, you know, I wish that there was ways to make it easier. And that's the other thing we're going to talk on our next episode about cultures, where some cultures are way in the Western civilization of grief and loss is somewhat different than other cultures. Right. And, you know, people will talk about, well, we're going to have a celebration of life. And then that celebration of life is filled with nothing but sadness. Yeah. And it's like, if this is a celebration of life, how does this work? So we're going to talk about that, but we're going to address that in our next episode about different cultures and how we know that, you know, one of the things is, is grief and loss is not innate. The loss itself, and, you know, grief is innate, but the process and how we see death and dying is very different. That Those are learned behaviors. Those are learned because if they weren't, every culture would experience them the same way. Mm-hmm. Even within the United States, different cultures within the United States deal and handle and do death and dying very differently. Right. I remember we were at my, I think it was my uncle's funeral. <laughs> it was my uncle's rosary or something. And I remember, oh my God, We were telling all sorts of funny stories and stuff, and we were cracking up. I mean, just because we were actually celebrating his life, and we got in trouble by the priest. (laughs) It was like, no, this is a day of being somber or whatever. And they're like, but even that, that gave a message. We were doing it inappropriately. Do you see what I mean? And so there are those things. And And they definitely do impact the way that we look at death and dying. And, you know, so, I mean, people can have different beliefs and stuff like that, but there's even, like you say, situations like that. It's, you know, the thought from our society about how and what that looks like. 
that whole process that impacts the way we truly experience it. And I have to tell you, you know, one of the things I'm really, really grateful for, for you, but there's many things, but went to Christy and I asked her if she would sing at my mom's funeral. And I know that was such a difficult thing for you because I know you loved my parents. Yeah. You know, I know that, remember, this is 22 years later, so almost half your life you've known them. And I appreciate just how mom and dad just embraced you in my life. And, you know, you were their daughter-in-law, and that's how they introduced you. That's how they treated you. And they were always very accepting of me and, yeah, just made me feel a part of the family. And I appreciate that about them. And I feel like I learned a lot from them. But I appreciate the fact that I know that had to be very difficult for you. And then, of course, you then sang at my dad's funeral. And I appreciate that as well, because I know that was difficult for you. And and even those things, those things are part of that grief and loss process. And that when we participate in them, you know, sometimes even when they're difficult for us and... And I'm grateful that I could do that for them and for you. But it, and for it, my family. For your family, yeah. It was just, it, it was difficult. And this is the thing. Death, for so many people, they feel like it's an ending. But it's not our ending. And that's the hard piece of how do we figure out how to navigate and continue living and realizing it's not our ending. And at the same time, still respecting and keeping those people that are so near and dear to us when we lose the vessel, how do we keep them alive and keep them from having that final death? And it's talking about them. It's sharing stories. I share stories with uh, my clients. My clients share stories with me about our families that have passed and those things. It keeps them alive. I'm always grateful when my clients allow me in on that journey and and help me to get to know those people that were so significant in their life because that significance matters and keeping them alive. So for us, we do that. We appreciate you guys listening to us as we talked about our journey and what that's been like for us in the death and dying. Next time, we're going to talk about the cultural differences so people understand that there are differences to to how we grieve and stuff like that, and that not, none of it is wrong. It is all right for each of us. And how we can help others that are going through that kind of thing. Yeah. What can we do? What can our contribution be to those people who are living and who feel like they were left behind? Right. It reminds me of, you know, I remember an episode of The Golden Girls, and, and this was always just sticks in my head when Sophia's sick and Dorothy is sitting there and she's talking. I don't know if it's like it might be to Rose and she's just so upset because she doesn't know if Sophia's gonna die. And she tells her, you know, that if she dies, she says, I'm gonna be an orphan. And I think sometimes that's what it feels like. But the good thing about even being an orphan is somebody comes along and loves you and nurtures you. And we have to remember in all of the loss, there are still those there who are loving us and nurturing us and being a part of our lives. So thank you once again for listening. We know this is kind of a little darker than that, but it's not because there's still life. There's still stuff to have gratitude about and appreciate. And so 
we always turn to that. And we turn to those memories to, to help us through those difficult times. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to next week. Bye. Bye.